Um, so you weren't the original lawyer for Krishna, were you? As I remember, as I've read rightly, you you took over after he was originally sentenced to death. Is that right? I was certainly not. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've read lots of different things about, about him and the state of health he's in, and I've, I read something a couple of days ago that, that gave the impression that he nearly died last year. What state of health is he in at the minute? Obviously, in more recent years, we've had more and more evidence come out about the case, because I know, obviously, that the, the original case was quite flimsy anyway, because there were six witnesses that weren't called to court, if, if I read that correctly. Um, yourself and uncovering that, didn't you? And and there's supposedly a um a, a DEA officer that that testified on behalf of somebody that wanted to uh clear his conscience. So how strong is the evidence that it, it was all it all links back to um Pablo Escobar cartels?
Mm. <coughs> and um, there's a, a an appeal, uh, a court of appeal have granted a hearing, haven't they, have they not, for all of this? Um, is there a, a date been set for that yet? Well, it was set for June twentieth, as in next month. Mm. But it probably won't happen then because the the judge refused any discovery, and <coughs> we know that the federal government has in its hands documentation proving who really did this murder. We know it because there aren't witnesses have said so. And what we need is the documentary proof that 31 years ago they knew that Chris Maharaj didn't do the murder. And they forced us tooth and nail on that, and they're continuing to try to prevent us getting access from that. And what it's all really about is that the emperor wears no clothes, and no one wants to point out that not only is this a dreadful miscarriage of justice, Mm, so what you're saying really is that he's still locked away purely in, uh, sort of out of embarrassment on, on the authorities' part. And that is why, in the whole time he's been in prison, there have been six different governors and I think six presidents, and not one of them has actually made any uh, attempt to release him. Yeah, I mean, technically the president wouldn't have the power, but it's a state court conviction on federal. But the governor certainly does. And, you know, they, you know with, with, with the governor, I think it probably has more to do with politics that the government preaches so loudly that uh, we've got to lock all these bad people up and that's what protects you from crime and so forth, that it's very difficult for them politically to admit that actually the police were corrupt in this case. And we had a police officer testify that they, the Miami police, there was a big section of them who were corrupt. And this is corroborated at the time. In 1985, fully 10% of the entire Miami police either arrested or fired because of corruption. And so the police officer testified for us that the Miami law enforcement had a deal with the cartels, that if the cartels wanted to murder someone, they would check with the corrupt elements of the Miami police, and this guy named the guy that, that they checked with. And if the police said it was okay to kill somebody, they'd have a police officer present at the time of the murder to make sure that the cartels didn't get in trouble. And the reason this happened was that you know, the police weren't very well paid and they could make more in one day from the cartels than they would make in a whole year of doing their job properly. But it does put a bit of a new blush on the motto of the Miami police to serve and protect. They were serving and protecting the wrong people. Um, well, yes, quite. Um, now, of course, he, if I've got this right, Chris was in um, living in Florida at the time, but he's been a British citizen for about 40 years, 50 years, something like that. No, his whole life. He was born in British. Oh, he was born? Okay. Um, and 
How, why do you think that he was the one that was singled out as, as sort of the full guy in this whole in this whole case? You know, it's very difficult to know for sure. I mean, one of the difficulties when you represent innocent people is they don't know the answers. They don't know any of the answers. And I will say that the vast majority of what I've discovered over the last 25 years came as quite a surprise to Chris. He didn't know it. Now, why he was fingered is not absolutely clear. I have a theory, and I'll tell you what that theory is. Back in the day, the cartels had a process when someone had stolen money from them, they would try to collect that money before they murdered you. Uh, and the different ways they'd do it, which we can see documented in this case, is they would, they would try to get all your money, they would make you bring any money you had, but they would also try to get someone to pay your debt. Now, the Moo Youngs didn't know many rich people, and Chris was the richest person they knew. He was a millionaire back then and a self-made millionaire through his uh, fruit importation company. And so even though he had problems with Derek because Derek had ripped him off, uh, they thought that he would pay, help pay their debts and save their lives. And I think Chris would have done that if he had been told. So I think that's the reason why they maneuvered Chris to be in the same room. But then it all fell apart because the Moo Youngs didn't show up and Chris sat there for an hour thinking he was having a business meeting with someone. He got tired of waiting and he left. So I think that's how it all came about, that they were trying to get him to pay off the Young's debt. But it never happened. That's my speculation. I can't prove it. Okay. Um, and let's be optimistic and say when rather than if he's released. What does he intend to do with all the, ti with the time he's got left? I, I guess it's moved back to Britain, is it? Oh, yeah, look, he, he and his wife would take the first flight home the moment he was released. But he wants, as much as anything else in life, apart from he wants to treat his wife really well, because she's been so fantastic to him, he wants um, to, make, to make a big deal out of what's happened to him just because he doesn't want other people to go through the nightmare he's suffered. You know, he couldn't believe what he's gone through. And, you know, you say when rather than if. I've constantly been optimistic and said, I think this time we're going to win. I think this time we're going to win. And I've been wrong every time. Um, you know, there's no case I've had. I've had hundreds of these cases. No case I've had where it's clearer that the individual is innocent and where we've put on more proof that he's innocent and still totally failed. And, you know, that's shocking to me, so I'm very hesitant about saying when uh, now, because I've been wrong so long. Hmm. Um, and obviously this case has sort of become quite prominent in Britain, um, and quite a lot of British politicians have taken up, uh, taken up, his, taken up the fight for him almost. Um, when did that first come about, and who, who were the, the, the politicians that, that sort of went into bat for him? Well, it actually goes back to 1995-96 when I was first involved in the case and we got many politicians to sign a friend of the court brief on Chris's behalf, simply saying that he should have a fair hearing. Um, but over the years, you know, we just recently had an intervention by the British government where they were saying that he should get the discovery that, that he hasn't got. And then another one last week by over 100 parliamentarians 
Yeah, um, and at the moment there's a, um, I believe on Reprieve's website, there's a, a list of uh, members of Parliament in Britain who have signed um, a fresh uh, petition. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I signed a brief. It's a brief in court that was filed last week. Okay, and how many uh, MPs have signed it so far? I, it, was, it was something over 100. I, I don't know the exact number. So over 100. That's still sort of very much a minority compared to the number of every, you know, every, every MP put together in Parliament. So, um, and House of Lords. I mean, look, you've got, mm. you've got the total of over a thousand. And uh, is there... So they're welcome. They're more, they, more people should sign up. If you will, encourage them in your piece. I'd be grateful. You know, they can, uh, they can sign up at any time, but I agree. It's the sort of thing that if I were an MP, I'd sign in a heartbeat. I mean, we all know this is an injustice. And we're not even asking to set them free. We're just asking for them to take his innocence into account. Um, so it's not a very controversial thing to What is the, out of interest, the, the percentage uh, uh, of these people that signed it from in, in terms of uh, what party they represent? You know, I couldn't tell you. I could go back and look at I didn't take part in putting that brief together, but I'm not allowed to, because as counsel for Chris, I can't help on a friend of the court brief. But I will say that one of the leading lights in it has been Peter Bottom. Peter has supported Chris now for you know, 25 years, and he's been really good about it. So it's not a just a Labour or a Liberal thing, there's a lot of Conservatives involved too. Yeah. And and what would you recommend to people that might read this and listen to this interview uh, in Britain who know their MP has not signed it when they read the brief? Uh, what would you suggest they do? Well, I, think I, I, I can't tell people what they can and can't do, but they're certainly free to, um, to contact their MP and tell them to, to contact Reed Smith, as the law firm mm-hmm. that's kindly done this um, pro bono. So everyone should feel absolutely free to tell their MPs and anyone else to to sign up. And um, have you had any? Have you heard of any instances yet where someone hasn't signed it, an MP hasn't signed it, and then they change their minds after any uh, persuasion? Yeah, I mean, look, people are busy, and the truth is they just miss things. And even though Reed Smith has asked these MPs two or three times, I think they just have I don't know of anyone who's genuinely contemplated it and refused, except the people who are not allowed to. So, you know, people who are in the 
Okay, so so anyone is it is that include Shadow Cabinet too? Yeah, Shadow Cabinet and Cabinet are not allowed to do. So it is purely a backbench thing that uh, yeah. we're talking about. But, you know, the cabinet's pretty small. You're not talking about it. Mm. But ha but have Shadow Cabinet and Natural Cabinet ministers supported this? Um, oh yeah, I mean look if you look at the people who signed the brief in 1995, there's you know I think there were people like um, Jack Straw and all the folk back then who uh, went on to become cabinet ministers, but they certainly supported this at the time. Okay, um, so. How do we, in terms of a, a, a let's, let's put a percentage on it, in, in terms of, uh, let's say, 60-40 or 30-70 or whatever, what do we think is the chances of, of this particular hearing, when it comes around, will lead to Chris's release? Oh, no, Jack, I'm, I'm so unwilling to make a guess on that because I've been so wrong in the past. You know, I would think in a sane world, the chances would be 100% that... Mm any court would set him free. But I don't think we live in the same world. Uh, and therefore, uh, for all sorts of foolish procedural reason, reasons, uh, I wouldn't like to, um, I wouldn't like to promise that we're going to get relief now. But what I, one thing I will promise is we'll carry on trying until 